For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of Scoop Du Jour. I am Jordan Black. It is finally maybe almost summer. I'm waiting for it to feel like summer, not weather-wise, but just kind of chill-wise. It's been really busy, but good busy. We are trying to get some amazing guests and, and succeeding in that. So excited to share a number of them with you. We had Ashley Shamady last week on the show. Hope you all enjoyed that one as much as I did. And this week, so excited to share that Shane Graham is joining the podcast. He is a 15-year NFL vet, a kicker in the NFL who really had a journey through the pros, spent time with a number of teams, the majority of his career with the Cincinnati Bengals. But as he shares, he's a small town Virginia guy, played his college career at Virginia Tech. But his love of kicking started from soccer. His dad kind of pushed him into playing football, not pushed him, but encouraged him into playing football. And he shares a really beautiful story about his dad that I want you all to listen to. It kind of comes toward the end of the podcast, but it is such a beautiful story about family, about faith, and a really great story about the Falcons organization. So, so many great nuggets in this one. So um, Shane is leading the next generation as his company um, helps the next generation of specialists. So lots of great nuggets in this one. He's a Virginia Tech alum. So we talked a little bit about the ACC as well. If you like this episode and others, please do not forget to rate, subscribe, like, review, all the things wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. But without further ado, let's get into the episode with Shane Graham. Welcome to Scoop Du Jour, Shane Graham. So excited to have you. 15-year NFL vet. You played with 14 different franchises over nine seasons, a Virginia Tech alum. So we got to talk some college football. It is so good to have you. Now you're doing some really cool stuff. Um, Former kicker, so got to talk a lot of special teams. But thank you so much for being here. It is such a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you. Yes. Um, Let's – first, it was so funny because – We were going to coordinate last week when you were in Chicago because you're doing a lot of cool stuff with kickers nowadays. And it was really funny because Chicago's where I live. And not that we were going to do this in person, but you're, you know, having so much fun, like traveling all over and helping the next generation of kickers. And then you were asking me for Chicago recommendations. And I was just like, um, you sent me a map. And I, I love how much faith you had in me knowing not only about Chicago, but also geography, like what this map looked like. Like you sent me a big map of, of <laughs> Chicago, just being like, what, do you know this area? And I was like, uh, not really. So thank you for that faith. Um, and thank you for being here. Um, yeah, my, my wife's, <laughs> one of my wife's best friends actually lives in Chicago and she's a new transplant as well. So she doesn't know a ton either. So it was so funny. I was like, um, let me look at a map like, and, and just one figure out like where the heck you are. Um, so it's really cool. Cause you're, you're traveling all around. Let's go backwards before we get forwards. I, I think what's always so interesting, a lot of conversations I have with folks now about the game of football is like, oh, well I'll put my kids in football, but if they're a kicker, right? Because it seems like the safe the safe way. So tell me when you were little, how'd you get into football? And was that like the position that your parents wanted you to, to play? Cause it was deemed safest. You know, kind of not really, I guess. Um, you know, I guess my dad somewhat when I was younger had, had a little bit of the foresight 
to realize that banging your heads together when you're a little kid probably wasn't that good for you. So, uh, you know, we played soccer, but really before they even put us in soccer, my sister and I both were just always kicking things, if not each other. And I think I just had a propensity for kicking a ball and kicking a soccer ball against the back of the house for hours. I mean, there was no video games. There was no Internet. Uh, just kicking a ball, chasing it, reacting to it. And my sister and I both ended up playing soccer at a pretty high level. I, I played at a very high level before I got to football or focused on football. But uh, <clears throat> it was just one day, I was uh, like 10 years old, my dad brought this weird brown pointed football home and said, do you want to try and kick this and see what we can do? Maybe he had this vision, you know? And... I hit it over the backstop, and then I hit it a couple more times. You're on like an old baseball field. And then finally it hits the top of the backstop because we backed up a little bit. And you know how those old backstops, like some of those like old chain link fences have the like metal prongs that like stick up on top to kind of yeah, twist yeah, around? Yeah. yeah. So they had these little barbs, and, and the football hits one of these barbs and pops. And I don't know if you know how expensive leather footballs can be, but they're pretty expensive. But my dad was like, well, I think we probably need to get a few more of those and see where this can go. And then, you know, a few weeks later, he introduced me to a guy named Pat Amora, who was the kicker at Ohio State in the late 80s and who was from my hometown in Virginia, oddly enough. And he kind of served as my mentor just to kind of show me a few things when I got started. He gave me a whole bag of, of Wilson leather footballs, which were, you know, expensive because they're just nice Wilson right. leather footballs, which can be a hundred, dollars in today. Um, and my dad was like, we can't afford these. We just, we feel bad. He's like, no, one day, just make sure you give footballs to someone else when you, when you have the opportunity. So that always stuck with me. So when I got through, you know, going to camps and learning and, and having him as a mentor my whole life, even when I was in the pros, I still considered him a mentor, even though he never made it and invited him to any of the Hall of Fame dinners and things like that I was ever invited to. Uh, and I just was fortunate that I had my father. I had, I had people and parents around me that supported me, and I had people that could teach me but also give me mental and spiritual support along the way. And I think that kind of helped guide me and, and show me the mentality I needed to have as far as um, motivation, you know, use of time, how to do things when you don't always feel like doing things. And it let me obsess on the skill and it, and it led me to be able to have the opportunities where, you know, my high school coach let me kick a lot of field goals to, you know, ended up getting recruited and having opportunities there. And then in college, having a coach, my head coach was our special teams coach, but also he was like a father figure because he was with us every day. So, you know, Frank Beamer, you know, really helped my college career be one that was always comfortable, but yet held accountable when things weren't good, um, I think helped prepare me. And then I think having a few coaches in the beginning of my NFL career that were kind of hard on me probably thickened my skin a little bit and made things work to where that transition from soccer to kicking this weird brown football mm. kind of pulled this weird, uh, you know, transition into – you know, one year, you know, I had, I think I have the record for the most tackles for a kicker in a season, yeah. like 11 tackles. And, you know, when all that football career ended, you know, I get tested by the league. The league now tests guys for neurological issues and physical issues. And, you know, I don't, you know, I, I don't necessarily qualify for a lot of that stuff because I didn't get beat up too bad, I guess. But, um, you know, now that I'm teaching younger guys, you're just seeing a different caliber of athlete. You're seeing guys that are probably big enough and strong enough to play a lot of different positions, but they're just sticking to kicking because maybe it's safer. I don't think anyone ever tells me that's why they do it. They just do it because they really enjoy it. Yeah. And, and oddly enough, the guy that was my mentor when I started I now work with his son. So it's a really cool little circle that we have. Yeah. Going. Oh, that's so neat. Okay. So one of the things you mentioned was going to Virginia Tech and you play for this iconic football coach, right? I think a lot of guys growing up dream of playing for Frank Beamer. What was that experience like? It, it was amazing. I mean, 
you know, when you didn't do things well and, and you didn't do things right, it's not like he just beat you up for it. He made you, it was almost like you felt like you disappointed your father and you wanted to make up for it. And that was a cool feeling to, to have the internal motivation to want to do well, but also want to do well to please him like he's your father and you want him to be proud of you. And, and I think that there are some coaches that can figure that out in today's world. It's just very hard with the dynamics of how society is today. It's hard to really be hard on guys without it being considered being mean or hurtful, I guess. But, you know, when, when this, when this coach would be upset with a performance or something I did off the field that maybe wasn't the most responsible when it comes to my grades or whatever, uh, you better believe that I went and I fixed it and I made sure that I ended up graduating with a 3.5 instead of graduating with, you know, whatever I got my first semester, my fall year, which I wouldn't have graduated if I did that. But, you know, having that and having a coach that had a passion for the game and, and competitive and able to communicate with these players in a way that, that really, you know, makes your players understand that he's not mad at you. He just expects more from you. Um, is really a cool place to be because you, you leave this person when you're a player and you see them a year later, you see them two years later. I saw him 20 years later again, you know, I saw him, I see him all the time when I go back home, but his son is now the head coach at South Carolina. And I, I was coaching at Florida. We're playing against South Carolina. So their head coach Shane was my teammate in college so I go up to him, give him a hug before the game, and, and there's there's Frank, his dad, right there beside of him. And, you know, we give each other hugs, tell each other we love each other. And it's just it's just a great relationship to have, knowing that years later, you know, not only did he help me with my resume when I was getting into coaching, but was always there for me when I needed any advice or anything. And and now that I'm, you know, I'm doing private coaching. I can promise you there's things I say that probably came out of his mouth at some point when it comes to how I communicate with my players. Yeah, like subconsciously. Before we get to your coaching and and pro career, I'm I think for a lot of people who haven't been to a game or aren't as familiar with Virginia Tech, I I'd love for you to kind of tell us that experience from the player perspective. I've been fortunate enough to go to a game there. Um I actually know exactly what it was. It was Carolina clinching the coastal from Virginia Tech. Um, so sorry to bring that up. But um, I it was it was a wonderful experience because it really is a great college town. And there are so many great college towns in the ACC. Um, but Blacksburg being one of them, take us through what that experience is like as a player. Well, you know, one of the cool things that they're really known for now is the whole entrance with Inner Sandman. Yes. Now, they started that the year after I left, <laughs> but uh, even when I played, you know, what was really cool about it is it's such a small community. And if you remember, you know, you're driving through the mountains to even get there. Oh. And, you know, we don't have like a city metroplex around us that, that, that fills our stands from, you know, a big city nearby. It's people have to drive five mile or five uh, five hours from D.C. or people are driving from Charlotte or people are driving from, you know, Roanoke, which is a very tiny city, like an hour away. Uh, fans have to have pure passion to show up. So there'll never be a stadium that holds 100,000 people there because there just isn't the demographics of population right. base around there to do it. But you really you tend to have like a true feeling of family with the community. And, you know, I remember, you know, even when they had the shooting in 2007 and I was playing for Cincinnati, uh, the local alumni chapter in Cincinnati for, for Virginia Tech alumni asked me to speak at like the service. Ooh. And it was weird that I felt like, why would they ask me? But yet it was because they felt like I was somewhat an ambassador to the community because I was known through my days at Virginia Tech. And I, I took that as an honor and I, and I did it. And I was, I was very comfortable. I got emotional because 
it affected me because I walked the halls that this happened in and I, and it very easily could have been when I was there, you know, and, and that feeling of, of hurt and pain you had, you felt like it was your own classmates, even though it was, you know, seven, eight years later, um, you know, you just have that tie and you have that pride. And anytime I see someone with hokey gear on in an airport or anywhere, um, you know, I'll give a let's go and they'll yell back Hokies or something, you know, like there's always a little bit of a connection um, or I'll gobble to them and they'll gobble back. You don't want to, I'm not going to do it on camera. So, okay. but, um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, I grew up a UNC fan. Oh, I, I grew up a UNC basketball fan uh, because of Michael Jordan. And then when I was being recruited, UNC actually came after me really hard when Mac Brown was there. Mm. And I was very tempted to go there, but my ultimate decision came down to Frank Beamer being the head coach, being a special teams coach. The fact that he called my holder from high school and said, hey, if Shane comes here, you can hold for him because he was going to go there to be an engineer either way. Very cool. So that was a big factor. But also I wanted to go somewhere where, where football was was the thing. That, yeah. That was what the school had for its sports. Sure. And, it, you know, I have zero regrets, you know, and I'm sure if I went to UNC, everything would have been fine because they, they were good back in those days um, on, an, on a national contender level. Sure. But I think the fact that I went there and, 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 and made the connections I made with, with people that came from all these other places versus everybody that came from the city next door um, really helped me learn other cultures, learn other things about people from New Jersey and people from New York and people from places that I had no exposure to growing up because I grew up in the mountains of Virginia where... Um, you know, everybody said y'all and you went down to the holler and you took a dip in the creek and th that was how you, you spent your days. But, you know, meeting all these people that thought it was weird that my voice sounded this way mm -hmm. when I had this really strong draw on my accent. And I'm like, you're in my area. Why are you questioning me? But, but so many people just come from so many other places. Um, and it's a really cool melting pot that also lets them experience the beauty of the mountains and, and the culture that's there as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the best things about college is it's four years. I think my dad always says this, where like everyone's, you know, for the most part, besides professors and a lot of people living in college towns, but like where everyone is your age and it's so diverse and you're just living in this community where there are all different types of people but everyone's focused on the same thing for the same amount of time. And you really never in your life are going to live in a place like that again. No. And then after that, you don't, right? Because you lived in a lot of different places after college. So um, your pro career, it was a, a journey of sorts. Um, it took you to a lot of different places and it wasn't always easy, I'm sure. So um, and it, it started, you know, not in the NFL, right? In arena football. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, I, I didn't get drafted. I thought I was going to get drafted. I didn't. Um, I had a buddy that was playing for like the Richmond speed is what the team was. And I just happened to be like near Richmond and I got a call and I was actually out on the field kicking because I had gotten cut. I no, I hadn't even got signed with an NFL team at this time. I was still on, on, scathed by the NFL because I didn't get drafted. I never got signed. Mm. And he said, Hey, I got hurt. We need somebody to kick. Are you available? I'm like, honestly, I'm an hour away. Uh, I'll come play. So I come and play that game. It's, it, it was so much different. I mean, you know, you had holders that never held before and I was used to going really fast because you had people that practice it every day. So it was a little different, but it was fun. I actually had some of my old college teammates that were on that team. So it was really cool to kind of be there with those guys. And it was just one game, but that was my first ever pro experience. And then, you know, for the next 17 years, I continued to chase the NFL after that. And finally the opportunities came. But, uh, you know, it, it was cool having that because it really let me appreciate once I made it, I didn't really take it for granted. Sure. Your career took you to a lot of different places. And I'm curious, like you were saying, the 
beginning of your career in college, you stayed in Virginia where you met different types of people, but then throughout the NFL, you moved to all these different places and probably encountered a ton of different cultures that way. What was it like just moving around after living your the beginning of your adult life in Virginia? Then you go to all these different places. What was that part like? Just traveling. And I know it's not glamorous um, when you're moving all the time, but just yeah. getting to go to all these different cool cities. So, you know, most people that, you know, didn't really know me, but knew that I was going to go play for Buffalo for my first team. They probably thought, oh, well, he's in the NFL now. He's going to go move to Buffalo in a mansion. And it's like, no, I'm actually going to go live as a roommate to my buddy Keon Carpenter, who played at Virginia Tech with me and said, hey, you can stay here. Don't waste money on rent. Yeah. And I stayed at his apartment and I literally lived out of a suitcase and you know, went to practice, played games, didn't really do much socially. Every now and then I went out with a couple of the guys on the team for dinner. Uh, and then when the season was over, I went back home and then uh, actually finished my degree because I had a few more uh, things I had to finish. And then I ended up going to Charlotte and playing in Carolina the next year. And, you know, I did get an apartment there and I kind of liked living there. It was, I, I really enjoyed that city, but, uh, you know, I think my longest stint ended up being in Cincinnati, yeah. which was the next place I went to because the assistant special teams coach for the Panthers ended up becoming the coordinator for the Bengals. And he kind of brought me there with him when, when their kicker uh, got hurt during the off season, uh, they ended up bringing me in right before the first game. And I stayed there for seven years. And uh, that special teams coach actually is still there to this day. I think, him and Bill Belichick are the two longest tenured NFL Ooh. coaches for the same team. How did you stay the course? You know, how did you tough it out mentally? Um, when it, it, like we were saying, it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't living in this big mansion. It wasn't always easy. Um, and it, it's tough, especially being a kicker and, and not getting drafted. But you did get this long stint with the Bengals. Um, but how did you tough it out at times? Uh just realizing how fortunate I was to get the opportunities and to be able to play a game for, for a career, for a living. Um, and knowing that, you know, there were people that when you're driving to work in the morning and you see, you know, traffic slows down because of construction, uh, there's people that are doing that construction and they probably don't like that job and they're in the heat and they're in the blacktop and the sun's beating down on them. So you just, kind of see the perspective of how to appreciate what you have. So when you have a bad day and maybe the fans aren't happy with you because you didn't do your best, uh, you learn not to feel sorry for yourself because you realize you still are very blessed to have the opportunity you have. And I think, uh, you know, even when you don't do well, if that's the reason that things are rough, you just learn to deal with it because I mean, life doesn't always go your way. And then, Sometimes when you are, are doing well, things won't go your way and you have to deal with your team losing or your contract's up and the team can't afford to keep you on your roster or whatever the reasons are uh, and you end up with a new team, you just realize, you know what, there's a lot of people that lost their job yesterday that can't just get called by somebody else and they just, they're able to afford to pick up and move. So you learn not to take it for granted. And, and you learn to make the best of it. And I think I did a good job of that because even when I got out of the NFL, because I was kind of tired of living out of suitcases and living out of long-term hotels or short-term rentals, uh, I only stayed a year or two at every place I coached because either the head coach would retire or get fired. And then a new staff would come in and they kind of recycle and clean house. So there you go, somewhere new each time. So I kind of treated that the same way, like, all right, my wife and I are trying to settle down and kind of get things settled. Let's just let's just live in Michigan where her family's based and we'll just kind of start a life here and I'll start my own business where I can coach as many players as I can and maybe have as much outreach as I can, but just not have to move every two years. Yeah. That I mean, it's certainly a hard part that I think in especially doing this show and and as a, a reporter, we learn people on the outside looking in don't see that, right? And I think one thing 
that I'm curious about too, is from a kicker's perspective, you can either be the most loved and celebrated guy on the field or the most hated, right? Or most, yeah. uh, right? Um, one under pressure, um, to, to say it more kindly. How did you kind of tune out the noise at times too? And I, I'm sure it, you were on the cusp of this social media um, movement um, when you were in the league and, and then in coaching too. How, how do you continue to tune out the noise um, now on the other side of it? But how did you, especially when you were playing? Uh, you know, there, there's a saying that I was told a long time ago. If you don't pay my bills, your opinion doesn't matter. And I just always felt like, yeah, I could let my ego and my pride be hurt sometimes. But but part of the mentality that I had when kicking a football was I never tried to outdo what I was capable of doing. So and that's what I teach to my guys now is never let your pride or your ego make you try to do things where you overstep your physical capabilities to reach the perception that you think other people have of you. So if you can't kick a 70 yarder, don't go try to kick 70 yarders. Just do what you can do. And when you stay on the, on the train tracks that you've set for yourself, then that's the safest path and the most consistent path. And if you try to start reaching out and doing things that you just aren't really supposed to be trying to do, then you give yourself the best chance to not make mistakes. And I think that, uh, you know, in today's world with, with social media where it is, you know, everyone's trying to impress everyone and everyone's trying to give a perception of what they are, whether it's true or not. Everyone's trying to give a perception. And I think I got caught up in that to a degree with certain things, with thinking I had to have, you know, really nice cars and, and nice things that, you know, I don't think really made me a, who I was. But, um, uh, you know, you outgrow that and then you start to realize the things that are really more important and that's relationships with people. And I think that, uh, you know, when you care about your players, uh, I've got players that when we get off the phone with each other, we tell each other we love each other. I've got coaches that I do the same thing with. I've got teammates that I do the same thing with. And early in my career and early in my, you know, I probably wouldn't have felt comfortable doing that. But now I, I understand and I realize like, I cherish these people and I want them to know that I cherish them and care about them. So I'm not ashamed of like expressing that to them. And if for some reason they're uncomfortable and, and they say, uh, yeah, me too. That's fine. I don't care because I let them know how I feel and that's what matters. And, you know, when you, when you're in a pressure situation and you're performing a task that so many people can have an opinion on the outcome of that that task the only thing that matters is what process leads up to that to to the result and the task that you're doing is simply a series of steps in a process and if you don't focus on each one of those steps and those little details and you start thinking about the the, the result before it happens then you let in uh, thoughts of fear and apprehension and, and trepidation and everything, hesitation, just the things that we all do when we are up high on a, you know, looking out the window of an airplane or a hot air balloon, which I've never done, but I'm just assuming that probably wouldn't like that. But, um, you know, anything that we're afraid of, you know, falling from high spot, spots or, you know, some people with, with spiders or snakes or whatever, we're not afraid of that actual animal. We're afraid of us getting bit by that animal. So if we just follow the, the process of, hey, there's a snake, let me avoid it, then you're probably better off than like freezing up, right? Or if you're kicking a game-winning field goal, oh crap, I hope I don't miss. Well, if you're already thinking about missing, then you've already kind of let some thoughts of doubt creep into your head. So all you can focus on are your target lines and your distances for the steps that you take for alignment and doing, keeping the tempo that you always have and being able to do those things allow you to, to take two tasks um, that are completely the same thing. One task is kicking on a field all by yourself. The other task is game winner in front of 70,000 people and a million TV viewers. Mm -hmm. And how do you keep them the same thing? 
and it's to ignore all those things that are that can go through your head by focusing on that process and and that's a lot of what I teach my guys when I train them now because it was a learning process for me because I used to you know I probably got away with it a few times when I was younger and still made the kicks when I was probably like afraid of missing but later on it was like you know what I've missed it didn't feel good but the world didn't end so I don't have to be afraid of it and I'm not afraid to fail and if you're not afraid to fail then you can be a little bit more open to taking the risk and if you take the risk you're going to get the reward more than you're going to get the failure I feel like I just went to Shane Graham Elite Winning Solutions. I mean, I'll send you the invoice later. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I can afford it, but um, maybe if I get um, a deal with a, a team. Um, hey, before we talk about what you're doing with coaching now, I just one thing that you you mentioned that stuck with me is that you kind of transitioned from like what was important at, at one phase in your life to what's important now, which is like relationships being so important. And at one time it was maybe material things. And I'm curious if, if you can pinpoint when that shifted and, and how you kind of shifted that mindset. I think a lot of times, like we're all, we, we see things online and we're all scrolling and we're on TikTok and we're on Instagram and we see all these shiny, pretty things and we want, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and right. You, you were in this league where, your paycheck is is very high and you can afford these things. When were you able to shift that mindset to what's important being family, relationships? Um, I, I think that. the first moment that I went from, you know, I, I used to be known for having flashy red cars and and there were some, some flashy ones that I had. But I, I did a lot of charity work in Cincinnati and – I remember pulling into the parking lot of this event I was doing at the Free Store Food Bank in Cincinnati, and I was on the board of directors for this for this foundational charity, and I had this really nice red sports car, and I pull in. You can hear it coming a mile away because it was loud and whatever, uh, and you know everywhere that car would go, people had their cell phones out, like snapping pictures with their old flip phones, but. Uh, it was that moment, and this was like 2007 or 2008. I can't remember exactly what year it was. Um, I pulled in the parking lot, and I got out of my car, and then I just saw everybody walking that didn't have even half cars. And I was like, I'm so worried about impressing people with my car, whether it be girls or, you know, whatever. Um but yet here I am also trying to help people that can't even afford cars. And I think that moment just kind of really hit me. And it, it came within a couple months. I, I, I stopped doing that and I got rid of those cars and I got a, uh, you know, I ended up buying a truck and it was still a nice truck by, by all means, but it wasn't like, holy crap, look okay. at that thing. Yeah. You know? And from that point on, you know, I had a truck, I had another truck, and then, you know, now I drive an SUV and it's, you know, there's nothing souped up on it. It's, it's exactly how I bought it. And I load it up with my equipment and stuff that I use. And yeah, I'll have people get in it and say, hey, nice car. And I'm like, thank you. But back in the day, it was, I kind of enjoyed that attention of pulling up in front of the valet at a, at a bar or a club. And everyone being like, oh, there's Shane Graham, you know, and it was it was it was intoxicating. And 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 when you realize that you're living this unrealistic life where the feelings that people have about you, whether it's, you know, girls uh, show you attention because they think whatever or the guys that want to be your friend because they think you're cool or whatever, all of those things are fleeting. And when those things are fleet and they're gone, it's like, where was the actual relationships? And where was the actual feelings of, of you know, caring about someone and not caring? And, and, and now to this day, when I go back to certain places, I have those friends that I knew were always friends for the right reasons. And those are the people that I hang out with and, and the people that I'm around now. And I, I don't have to worry about people having the wrong intentions for being around me. 
and it's just, you know, and, and I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where literally maybe 0.1% of the people might recognize me from Cincinnati or from my pro playing career. Uh, I don't have to worry about it. Mostly my wife and her cousins and some uh, a distant cousin eventually like finds out when we're all together, like, oh, well, you play football, you know, like, but they don't recognize me. And I like that. And I like that we can do things. You know, we do go back to Cincinnati and there's, there's quite a bit of, hey, can we take a picture with you? We love you, blah, blah, blah. And that's great. And it's, it's, it's cool because my wife did not uh, know me during that time. So like it's new to her yeah. and, it, and it's a little odd to see her reaction to it. But, um, you know, I, I just, I don't crave that anymore. And I used to, and it was, you know, I always felt like when I left my house, I had to like put on my work face. I had to like be ready to, to like show like public shame versus home shame. Yeah. And, and home shame is, you know, sit around, uh, try to, you know, put together model airplanes and paint pictures and and put together mini helmets and, and do kind of nerdy stuff. And public shame is, you know, let me buy a bottle of, you know, whatever and be cool. Right. And then I finally like figured out that that's not who I am. I'm, I'm a guy that grew up fishing and hunting and camping and, and hiking the Appalachian Trail and living off the land and being able to do that kind of stuff. Whereas the public persona that I had created for myself just wasn't me. And honestly, when I realized all that and I got to the later part of my career, I was actually much mentally healthier and was able to do my job a little better, in my opinion, because I wasn't called up and living in that unrealistic life. I, I think you said so many things that a lot of people are going to relate to, not because they played um, in the NFL, but because you emphasize what's important in life, right? And it's your family, your health, your hobbies, right? Because those can be really important. Um, I You mentioned your wife didn't know you when you were in the league. How did you two meet? So I met her when uh, I was coaching at Central Michigan. Um, I was kind of newly single. I had moved there, um, didn't know anyone. And, you know, it's a small college town and, uh, you know, it's a college town, a small college town, kind of in the middle of nowhere, Michigan. So I met her in Grand Rapids and uh, we just kind of dated for a while. And I probably tried to screw it up for a year or two or so uh, before I kind of realized like what I had in front of me. And, you know, when I ended up going to Michigan State and coaching, I ended up being closer to her. So we kind of our courting process actually sped up and, and amped up a little bit. And then by the time I moved to Florida uh, to coach at University of Florida, uh, she came to visit me when I was, when it was like the fall or, or the, the spring before spring ball of 2020 season. And then COVID locks everything down. So mm. she couldn't fly back home. She was only going to come for two weeks. And I'm like, oh, great. Oh, great. So she's got to live with me for this whole time. And we had a blast. I mean, we, we just, That'll test you know, it. between, you know, uh, watching documentaries together, long conversations, uh, you know, her reading me emails that her and her, her mother would write to each other when her mother had ALS and couldn't talk anymore. Mm -hmm. And her mother's passed away, like reading me like those old emails of her mom being concerned about her you know, college life and, and how she's living her life and things like that. You know, the typical things that I heard from my parents, you know, right. her mom couldn't say those to her. So she's reading these out loud, um, you know, uh, putting a gas fire pit out in the parking lot of our apartment building and setting up chairs around it. And other people that I worked with would come out and hang out with us because we were sitting outside and we weren't worried about whatever. Right. And this but, is all in Gainesville. Uh, and this was in Gainesville. Yeah. So she ended up spending a month or so, maybe even more there. And, and we just got along so well that I was like, you know what? I think this is the one. Oh. So I went and arranged, got a ring and everything. So when I ended up having my break to be able to go back to Michigan to, to visit with her and her family, 
that was when I proposed to her and all that. So then she ended up moving, uh, the, the next year she moved in with me when we got married and, uh, stayed down there with me. And then we picked out a house in Michigan while I was still coaching in Florida. And then that was part of the process of realizing, Hey, I don't think I need coaching anymore. Let's just stay in Michigan. Okay. So then once you left traditional coaching, if you will, you decided to kind of take it out on your own. And now you're doing private coaching, the next generation of kickers, specialist. Walk us through what you're doing now, why it's a, a passion of yours, why it's important to you. So the, the industry has, has really blown up since I kind of came through my high school and college days. There, there's a lot of guys that that are around my age that didn't make it in the NFL that started businesses um, that have become very successful businesses. Um, I wanted to do something different. I didn't want it to be the same business model. I didn't want it to be like a very like um, conveyor belt, you know, go through the system, learn these basic things and then maybe see you next camp type thing or let's go get you charted and ranked and rated and all that. Yeah. I wanted it to be, I want these guys to learn from all the things I did right. And I want these guys to learn from all the things I did wrong. And I want these guys to learn the things that I studied to help myself and pass it on to them. And, you know, so I actually do mental performance presentations with guys and, uh, I gave you like a little snippet. Of yeah, it I was going to say, I feel like we got it on the podcast. So yeah. use this as like a, a presentation for what yeah, you right? sign on to a, a, a elite winning solutions. Yes. It could be a promo. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then I also do, you know, situational awareness, things that could possibly happen in games and how to manage mm -hmm. yourself on the sideline, how to manage situations that, I learned in my 15 years of playing in the NFL, uh, you know, I ended up being on 10 teams during those 15 years. And for some of them, it was long periods. For some of it, it was a couple games because I filled in for an injury and then that injury got healthy. So then I'm back home again. Um, but you learn a lot of things in that. Not only do you learn uh, the game stuff, but you learn how to handle the things that you do and how to be prepared for your next opportunity and how to handle when the opportunity is over. And, and, and all of those things, nobody else out here went through that and nobody else can teach that. They can maybe teach a couple of the, you know, put your shoulder here, put your knee here, foot here, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm very adept at that stuff because I've not only, learned it myself and did it at a high level, but I was around other guys that mm. did it at the world's highest level. I was around punters who did it at the world's highest level, who obsessed over things and we always talked about it. And I was around so many special teams coaches that knew the game of football so well that I was taught by so many different perspectives that when I can teach a guy how to be ready for a certain situation that they may never ever see, but I promise you when they see it, they'll be prepared and they're going to say, Coach Graham showed me that and I knew to be ready for that. And and that's kind of where I want to be with this um, so that it's it's more of like a boutique style, uh, very intensive training type thing. I mean, we have we have guys that come to our house and stay here and I'll cook them dinner and they can ask me questions all day long and I answer and I love it because, you know, I just get to talk about football. My wife may not love the football talk <laughs> as much, but uh, it's funny because she can actually probably regurgitate so much of what oh, I wow. say because she hears so much of it. Uh, she heard me giving a Zoom the other day to someone and she heard something that I said and he didn't know the answer to a question I had asked. And when I got off the Zoom, she was like, I wanted to answer so bad because I knew it. I knew the answer. But, uh, you know, we, we enjoy it because it gives us a chance to really get to know the clients. And we go out on the field. We, I take them in the weight room in the basement. Uh, we do mental performance. We do uh, film review. I've got a bunch of high-tech cameras that I'll film them with. And we really get to go over very fine details and I prescribe drills and things to fix them. 
and then we go over how to keep your mindset for when you have to apply it when it matters. Yeah, I mean, and you talked about how much the mental part is critical, I imagine, especially for specialists, um, especially through like the trajectory that you had. Um, one of the things that I'm curious about, which I think is a fun question I've asked a lot of guys who have played um, any sport, but is there a particular game that you have a really fond memory of, whether it was in college or in the NFL? College is um, West Virginia, my 2009. At West Virginia or was it in Virginia Tech? At Virginia Tech. I was at Virginia Tech against West Virginia. Okay. Uh, it was my first real like game winner in college. And it had, it had big ramifications because it was the only game that we really came close in. And we went undefeated that year. We played for a national championship. But that was the one game we almost lost. And I kicked a game winner on the last play. So that one really has, you know, big memories for me. And then NFL, you know, I, I had uh, I had several game winners. I missed a few game winners. I made more than I missed. But uh, the game winners don't stand out as much as the first field goal I kicked in 2015. Uh, I was not on a team that year. And my father had gotten ill and was in the hospital and that in the hospital turned into hospice and i was able to be with him during all that time and i and i normally would not have been because i would have been playing and while i was there he would always tell me he's like well when are you going to go kick i know i know you need and i'm like dad i want to stay with he's like no you're going to go kick because that's what you do and you're going to be ready when you get your chance and uh So I found a local field to where he was and I would go train and um, he passed away a week later and we were with him and I was able to hold his hand when he took his last breath. And as my sister and I were driving around the next day trying to set up funeral arrangements, uh, I got a call from my agent. And he said, hey, uh, Atlanta's kicker just got hurt. They want to know if you'll come work out for them. And this was like in the middle of the week, Thanksgiving week on a Wednesday. And they, uh, I said, I, I don't know. My dad's funeral is on Friday. Only if, I, only if I work out when I win the job, because I had to compete with guys to win the job. I said, when I win the job, will they let me come home and go to the funeral? And they said, yes. So Thursday morning, Thanksgiving morning, I fly to Atlanta. I have my workout. I have tears in my eyes the whole time. I make every kick. Perfect. I don't know what the other guy did because I never watched what the other guys did. He was even a good friend of mine and, and, and hugged me and held me in the locker room as I broke down afterwards. But uh, the head coach came, put his arm around me, uh, shook the other guy's hand, came, put his head uh, arm around me, and said, hey, uh, we've got you a flight uh, in a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay. So I just assumed maybe the other guy won the job. I had no idea. And I was like, okay. And I started getting my stuff together. And he was like, but we've got practice first. You've got to get, you know, you've got to get dressed, get your equipment, get your locker and all this. And I was like, holy crap. Uh, so I won the job, uh, went to practice, met guys, had a good practice. You know, it was a good distraction to a degree. And then as soon as practice was over, they let me fly home. I went to the funeral on Friday. I drove back on Saturday morning and met up with the team and played on Sunday and kicking my first field goal, knowing it was the only one my father hadn't seen me kick before on TV. So that one really meant a lot to me. And uh, I saw the TV copy, and they actually brought that up on the TV copy, which was kind of cool. And I like watching it sometimes because it's really cool the way that they talk about it. But uh, just the way the organization treated me during that time in Atlanta, you know, the owner, the general manager, the head coach all put their arms around me and had tears in their own eyes. Uh, there's a lot of sentimental value that goes with that that time of my career. 
So uh, I'd say that was probably something that, that meant a lot to me, you know, for, for playing and, and just knowing that my dad wanted me to be ready for that moment and to be ready for it uh, meant a lot for because of the way that he raised me, but also just knowing that, you know, if he would be proud of me just to know that I did well in that moment and didn't, you know, give up, you know. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I have goosebumps and I um I think it's so special, like you said, because we started the show talking about your dad and how he gave you the football and was like, why don't you try kicking this brown leather thing? And we are ending kind of talking a, a full circle moment about how how special it was um, that he was with you in, in that moment. And I just so appreciate you sharing that because I can tell how much he meant to you, but also how much he meant to your game and how much of the game still means to you. So it's just um, really, I feel really honored that you shared that. And um, it, it just is, is a really, really neat story about just who you are and, um, and this game. So um, Shane, thank you for, for your time for this. Um, it has been so, so wonderful to, to learn from you, to hear from you. And, um, we've, we've plugged the, um, Shane Graham elite winning solutions, but plug yourself some more. Where can everyone find you? Uh, my personal social media. So, uh, at Shane Graham 17, only the capital S on Twitter and at Shane underscore Graham, uh, on Instagram, but all of my social media for elite winning solutions is at EWS underscore mentality, but elite winning solutions.com. That's where you can reach out. Uh, you can message me, sign up for things, sign up for services, ask questions about services. Um, and you can go to that website to see exactly what those services are as well. Amazing. And for anyone listening who can't see, um, it is Shane with a Y in case they just yes, didn't, know, with a y. didn't know who you were. But I mean, I can't imagine that. Um, Shane <laughs> Graham, thank you so much. Um, much appreciated. And um, can't wait to do this again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye.